last week I started, or really three weeks ago I started this series on who I am in Christ, but the first two weeks we talked about rest and how we live in a world that we equate busyness with value and worth. And if I'm not busy, then I'm really not doing all I can or all I should. And I work until I'm exhausted, and then I want to quit being around anybody and everything. And then that's how I know that I have value. But as a result, our society, the world we live in, has become more and more full of worry and dread and fear. We're at the highest point in history of people on anxiety medications. Our country also leads the world, once again, USA, number one in anxiety medications, unfortunately. We lead the world in a lot of categories. That's just one of many. And I think it's because we have seen this vast shift in who we are as a society and as a world. In 1989, I graduated high school, and my high school economics teacher was talking one day, and he said that stories and the news become more exaggerated and more intense because it's the only way you can have a 24-7 news cycle that keeps people tuned in. They used to do, you know, an hour worth of news and Walter Cronkite would sit at a desk and smoke and look and tell you little stories about what happened around the world. And the world was a different place. But then we, through the beauty of technology, had become a 24-7 news cycle. And if you want to keep people engaged, you can't just report the news. You have to create the news. You have to make things out of nothing. You have to take seemingly simple quotes or where somebody might have had a gaffe that would have not even been noted, and now we have a two-hour-long diatribe on why they are now our enemy because of the way they said something. I saw 11 different stories this week about fear in the news, and I don't watch the news every day. I usually catch it like once or twice a week. I read most of my highlights off of websites that I don't even know how reputable they are. Although many of them also have great lists that I can fill out. And I can find out which character on Friends I would have been. That's where I get most of my news. But 11 different times, they were literally driven by fear. And when it's fear, it becomes us versus them. Who's at fault? Is it them or is it us? Well, if you listen to them, then they're going to take away all your freedom. And if you don't listen to us, then you're really the worst person in history and in society. And so we put up walls and we divide and we make camps. And we do that so we know who's in and who's out. And as we tribalize more and more as a society, we separate and we no longer have interaction with anyone that's not just like us. If you don't believe like me, pray like me, dress like me, look like me, sound like me, in my socioeconomic, in my political party, we stay here because we're safe, you stay over there because we don't trust you. Then on top of that, we see a rise in social media. And the difficulty in social media is you see one of two things. It's one of two extremes. It's either the best part of an imaginary life or the worst part of how terrible everybody else is. And then we try to compare our everyday lives to their best day ever. We try and look and go, my life stinks. Look at their awesome vacation. I never do anything. Look at how big that fish they caught is. Look at how high that mountain they climbed is. Look at how whatever it is. And so I'm not enough because I could never match up to them. 
and they're living an imaginary life. I'm not against the news, by the way. I'm not for eliminating social media. But I'm saying when we're not aware of the truth and reality, then we begin a comparison. When I begin a comparison, everybody either has to live up to me or I tell myself I can't live up to them. And all of that, you throw all that into a mixing bowl and we're at a point in this world where we see more and more and more people living in fear, worry, and anxiety. And if we're trying to figure out why the spike, why has it risen so much, did you know that anxiety medications have gone up 8,000% in the last 25 years? 8,000%. I don't even know how you figure out that high of a percentage. I thought 100% was everything. I mean, I've heard of giving 110%, but when it comes to anxiety drugs, we are up 8,000% in the last quarter century. How many of you graduated high school 25 years ago or more? Do you realize that when you were in high school, less than 1 in 10,000 people were actually on an anxiety control medication? Less than 1 in 10,000 were on an anxiety control medication. We were just having the first starts of things like Prozac and breakthroughs for depression. And now, in some regions of our country, 1 in 3 people that are high school and college age are on some type of anxiety medication. 1 in 3 in high school and college. It drops off a little bit after that. I am not saying, if you need medication, don't take medication. I'm not. What I'm saying is, our world has created a situation where people are scared and depressed and anxious because they're trying to figure it all out. And what I'm here to say is not stop taking your medication, but I'm here to tell you there is hope other than that. And that hope comes when I know who I am in Christ. Isaiah 54, 13 and 14 tells us this. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, but you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Wait, what is that first part? All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. If your children are being taught who they are in God they're going to begin to establish and sense a sense of peace within them. God is greater than any fear in your life. My fear does not define me. In Christ, I can overcome this. I am not saying fear is not real. It is. Fear can be terrible. It can be debilitating. It can keep us from doing the most basic of things. But what I'm here is to tell you, is Christ can free us from the prison that the fear is holding us into. It doesn't make the fear any less real. It helps us learn who's really in control and who holds the keys to that prison. Fear is still there. Oftentimes at youth group, we'll talk about things, about concrete fears and about non-concrete fears. And I do that because I don't want the fear to own us. And when we say it out loud, it already begins to us take ownership of it again. Not in a power of positive thinking, which I'm going to talk more about in a minute, but in a, if I can confess it with my mouth, then I know that God can help me overcome this. When I understand who I am in Christ, fear no longer reigns in me. It's not that I'm never afraid. I still have fear, but it doesn't control me, and it doesn't win. The stopping fear from winning 
is going to keep me from pulling out of the world that I live in and help me learn how to engage in the world that I live in. The second thing, when I know who I am in Christ, I can walk in peace. Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What does that peace of God do? It surpasses all of my logic. When I try to logic my way out of it, it doesn't work. That's what I talked about just a moment ago. That power of positive thinking, that's not enough. The enemy of peace is anxiety. When I feel and struggle anxiety, that's a real thing. But when I begin to sense peace, that anxiety is washed away and taken away. The giver of peace is the Holy Spirit. When I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I will have his fruit evident and working in me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Look, it's third on the list. It's not bad. Third place out of nine? It's pretty good. That's not how it really works, you guys. Some of you are like, wait, should I write these down in order? No. But it says the fruit. The fruit means this. The fruit is a life filled with the Holy Spirit. These things are going to be evident. Apple trees? No one goes out and tapes apples on an apple tree. The apples naturally occur. There's a process. They have blossoms. If you decide you want your apple tree to get stronger, do you actually know what you do? You go out in the spring and you pull off every blossom. Do not pull off every leaf. That does not, that actually has the opposite effect. You pull off every blossom and you'll get no apples. But all the strength of that growing season goes into making your tree bigger and stronger. When I worked at the orchard, I worked there twice a year. Some of you know I worked in an orchard. I worked for four weeks in the fall, four weeks in the spring, three weeks in the spring. And one of the things we do is we would plant new apple trees. They'd go out. They'd decide which ones were not producing enough. They'd cut them down. Then three to six feet away from where that one got cut down, we'd put a new apple tree. The first five years, they don't let it have any fruit. The trees we plant aren't like seeds. They're actually about four to six feet tall. And we'd go out. One of the jobs you'd have was de-blossoming, literally what is called the trees. And you'd walk and pull off all the apple blossoms, go to the next tree. Hard to believe they pay you for this, people. Only in America. But we'd pull off all those blossoms. Why? Because then that entire year's growth is going into making that tree stronger. And that's okay. But you know what? Eventually, we need fruit from that tree. So it's important to really engage and to know who the Holy Spirit is because eventually that fruit's going to come out. And when there's no longer fruit, we literally cut the tree down, cut it up into firewood, and they sold the firewood to people that like to smoke meats because it was all apple wood. Your life, when you've been established in Christ, your life should have fruit. And one of those fruit that is evident in you is peace. Not in an arrogance and overconfidence way. Peace does not mean freedom from all the negative. Not simply the power of positive thinking. But no matter what situation I'm in, Paul tells us we can be content. Why can I be content in any situation? Because when the Holy Spirit has filled me with his peace, I'm still going to face the storms. I'm still going to face, in Paul's case, being beaten, being whipped, being jailed, being bitten by snakes, being shipwrecked. And he go, it's all good because I've got the peace of God. Did he want to be in those situations? No. He tells us very clearly, this is not what I want to face. 
It wasn't like he reveled in that. But he looked and he allowed the peace of the Holy Spirit to work in him. The next thing that uh, we see is sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us this. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Since I have a sound mind, I can overcome this. Because even though at times it seems like, well, Jeff, I just, I don't know what to do. Then you sit down and you think about what could happen. My daughter struggled greatly with anxiety. We've talked about this before. And one of the things I would do when she was younger, especially elementary and junior high, I'd sit down and I'd say, well, what are you worried about? And we'd literally write it on a piece of paper. And what's going to happen if this happens? And then we'd write that. And what's going to happen if that happens? Well, what if a bad guy comes to my school? Okay, what happens if a bad guy? Well, he could hurt somebody. Okay, and what happens if he? And we would literally play this out, and I'd go, okay, now, we know that God is more powerful than all of this, but we also know bad things happen in this world. And we're not going to not go to school because something bad might happen. We're not going to not go here because bad things could happen. Because we know bad things will. The difference is we also know we have a good God. A God who brings justice. A God who loves us. A God who cares for us. And so we would write these things out, not because I wanted her to get even more freaked out, but because I wanted her to know the ultimate outcome, still, when it was all listed out, was God is in control. God is in control. Now, is that always easy to grasp when you're in the middle of that? No, but because we have a sound mind, we know that we can overcome the obstacles. In Christ, we can learn to walk free from the muck of this world. I didn't want to use the word muck, but I thought I better use the word muck. I actually wrote, make sure you say muck. (laughs) Because that's what it is. It's messy. And it's gross. And sometimes we feel like we're stuck in it. But two things about this. It is a learned response and not a matter of living in denial. I don't deny that there are bad things in this world. But at the end of it, God is still in control. And the second thing is, God can heal and strengthen me so that I am able to be free. And when I know that, when I can use my mind that God has given me to know that I am able to be free from the bondage of anxiety and fear and worry, because he has given me the ability to reason and logic this out. It doesn't mean I don't feel it. It doesn't mean that there's never anything that I'm like, but I have this test, I have this issue, I have this medical procedure. Those are all real things that I've got to face. We're all going to face, in your lifetime, you're all going to face death, either somebody you love, your own, or both. But that makes God no less real today because I'm going to face something tomorrow. And I can walk in boldness going, I know God's going to see me through this. And finally, I don't need to worry any longer. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says this, Therefore, 
Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. What do we do? We cast all our care upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. Not because if you don't, you're going to be judged. Not because you're commanded to. You're invited to. Peter isn't writing this as a command. If you literally look at the words he writes it with, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. Come on, do it, because he says he cares for you. You get to give your cares away, because he cares for you. What a beautiful picture. From the difference of, if you don't do this, you're wrong and you're in trouble, to, hey, if you want to, he wants to take those because he cares about you. It's a subtle difference in the language, but do you see why it matters? Do you see why when Peter says, hey, if this is bothering you, you can give it away. You don't have to hold on to it. You don't have to carry it. You can be free from it. What a beautiful invitation for me. What a beautiful invitation for me who is a sinner and is stuck and sometimes can't find that way to let it go. And now he says, wait, you can do this. You can give him all your words because he cares about you. It doesn't matter that these things are, they're still going to exist. The world outside still exists, but I don't have to be the one to be in charge of it. I don't have to be the one to change it. I get to say, okay, God, it's in your hands. I don't need to worry any longer. The world will always be a dangerous place. And I'm not talking about walking in denial, looking through rose-colored glasses, pretending everything's okay, but it's finding hope in something greater than myself and greater than my fear. Some of us so allow our fears to define us, it changes what we do and where we go and how we act. And again, I, when I was young, I lived in Detroit. And one of the things my parents always taught me is situational awareness. I remember first grade being aware of where you were and what was going on around you. I remember when I would ride the bus in fourth grade, and I remember when you get on the bus, if there's something that looks weird, get off the bus and wait for the next one. If there's something that looks dangerous, you go to somebody's house and you tell them, I don't feel safe. If you're being followed, if you're being... Because this was Detroit in the 1970s, and as beautiful of a city as it is now, it wasn't always that nice. It was a scary place. And yet, my parents didn't say, we're just going to keep you inside forever because something bad could happen. Right? They taught me that be aware, be alert, but I don't have to worry because I know that this is in God's hands. Just saying the old don't worry, be happy, much to Bobby Farron's chagrin, will not make me free. But learning to lean into who I am in Christ, knowing, knowing that he will take this means I don't have to be burdened or bound by it either. Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that it may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. It's not a magic formula. It's a lifelong process. It's learning and growing and developing and walking in this. It's walking fully into who I am in Christ. 
Because when I know who I am in Christ, when I know and I believe and I grasp that concept, it changes. I no longer have to be held captive by the same stuff that holds me captive. I no longer have to be held back by my fears and my anxiety. Believing that this message is for you is critical to you accepting it. Because a lot of times we hear something, we go, oh, that's good, but that's not really for me. Or maybe you don't even think it's good. You go, that's not for me. Maybe that's more your attitude. But when you believe that this is for you, that you, as an individual person, whoever you are sitting in this room today, don't have to be held captive any longer. You're not, just as you're not a slave to sin, you are not a slave to fear. And the beautiful thing about the ending of slavery in America is it didn't just set one group free, it set a nation free to become more of who God created it to be. Now, I don't believe we've been perfect in that since then. I'm not naive, and I see systematic issues and problems that continue. But you know what? We have to start somewhere, and let's start with freeing ourselves today so that we can free those on our left and our right tomorrow and in the future. If I'm held captive, there's no way I can free the people around me. When the oxygen mask drops, put your own on before helping the people on your left and your right. It's not just a saying. It's because you're going to pass out trying to help this person, and then neither of you is going to have an oxygen mask on. Free yourself from fear and anxiety and the things holding you back so that you can take the next people, those around you and the next generation forward and knowing that you've got an incredible testimony of how God freed you from what was holding you captive. So my questions for you today are, what are your fears? What is it in life that you are afraid of? The second question is, if God is for me, what are the consequences of those fears? Knowing that God is on my side, what happens? What happens if your fear is fear of failure? What happens if you fail? What happens if your fear is fear of bees and you get stung by a bee? Well, hopefully you don't need an EpiPen. But just because I have a fear, it may still be there, but it doesn't have to control my life. Right? Because there's things I still, I'm concerned about, I'm worried about, but it doesn't stop me from living how God created me to live. And finally, do I believe that these scriptures are for me? Do I believe that what God said in his word is for me in my life? And if not, see, only you can answer that, but if not, where do I go to find and to deepen and to strengthen that belief? And if I do, then why am I allowing something to hold me back from all he wants me to walk in? So either way, if you believe it's for you, then why am I still struggling with this? And if you don't believe it's for you, How do I get to that place? Father God, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I pray that as we understand more and more of who I am in Christ, who each of us are individually, that we would walk in a freedom, a freedom that you promise and a freedom that only you can bring. God, I just pray for those who struggle with anxiety, struggle with fear, struggle and are being held back in their life because of those things. I pray that they would grasp this and find a freedom from it. God, for those who have just been struggling with this 
and couldn't even necessarily identify what it was, but they know it's real. Lord, let them hear your voice today. God, for those of us who desperately just want to be able to walk in confidence and not worried, let your Holy Spirit bring a peace to us and overwhelm us and fill us in a way we've never known before so that we have that fruit active in our life, that fruit of peace, Father God. In your name, amen. Just want to remind you of a couple things. Number one, um, it wasn't in the announcements because I didn't realize when we were filming this that next Saturday is men's breakfast, 9 a.m. Please come and join us, men. We're going to get to hear from our very own James Toady. We'll be our guest speaker that day. Um, If you want to show up early to help cook, or even to just stand around and have a cup of coffee, please come and join us. They're ready, like, they start cooking at 7, and the coffee's ready by 8.30, so if you want to come on out and join us, breakfast starts at 9, and it's one hour. So give us an hour of your Saturday. And the second thing is, next week is our Super Bowl party. We do three or four all-church events a year, where I'm like, hey, everybody should come out, because this is a chance for us to be together. And next week's is literally just a meal together. And it's hard to find a dining room big enough for all of us to have dinner together. So come on out, whether you love football or hate it, plan on being here for three hours, win a raffle prize, pick a number on a giant board that's meaningless, unless of course you win, then it's awesome. Um, Just come and be with us. Starts at three, goes until the game is over, and it's just us Think of this as your living room with a bunch of TVs. We got them up front. We got them on the side. We got them in the back. Just being together to watch a game and building relationships, meeting someone new, sitting at a table with somebody you've never sat down with before. There's somebody in this room. The first time I ever sat down with them was at last year's Super Bowl party. Sat at a table with them, had my first real conversation with them. I'd known them, said hello to them, but there he is. Hey, Linnell. First time we ever sat down together was at the Super Bowl party last year. You guys, it's a time for us to come together as a family. Come and be a part of our family. Thanks. We'll see you all next week.